Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Fleet Command, Outpost at Utopia Planitia Yards. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 143. We are so psyched to be with you. We'll talk a little bit about being a little late in dropping this episode, but we'll get to that at some point. Regardless, we thank you for being here, and thank you for downloading our podcast each and every week. Of course, when I say we, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, the Klingons have a view of him that is not exactly great. They also think that he would be hauled away as garbage. So in that way, he's very much like the Enterprise. He's the very recyclable and compostable Dan Davidson. And Dan, let's go to warp, buddy. Where do you come up with this stuff? (laughs) Do you come up with this like off the top of your head or do you think about it and write it down? Or do they flow like my Farkisms, I guess, is my question. Uh, I don't write them down. I used to back in like year one. Um, But I came up with that one about 10 minutes ago. That's Well, congratulations. You're smarter than you look. And I am glad to be here. Uh, Yes, uh, I am a piece of garbage and uh, I should be hauled away as such. Thank you, Bill. as you alluded to just a second ago, I've been looking forward to this discussion for a long time. It is well overdue, I think. And uh, we're going to talk about maybe one of the best characters in all of Star Trek ever. Certainly one of the most pivotal in a number of the series and in the films and, of course, the USS Enterprise. I mean, it's uh, it, it's, it's the ship on which the entire show was based at first and and uh, and what a grand lady she is, and I'm I'm psyched to talk about this. I mean, this this was my boyhood ship of dreams, as I've said many times on the show. Yep. And uh, as we have enjoyed Star Trek for over 50 years now, there are several iterations of the Enterprise, and we're going to touch on a bunch of them tonight. And it's it's going to be a great conversation because, like you said, your boyhood ship of dreams. Uh, so many people are attached to one specific version of the Enterprise, and it's going to be really cool to talk about each and every one of them, my friend. It really is. And we'll we'll talk about uh, the criteria for talking about those Enterprises later on. Uh, Dan, before you give the contact information, we wanted to just mention that, you know, we understand that the last couple of weeks, Trek Geeks has either dropped a little late or sometimes we've had to defer a week. It's been an incredibly busy summer for you and I so far. And uh, we're doing our best to to get the episodes out to you. And um, well, let's see, you're building a house. <laughs> We've both got in, an insane amount of work at the office. Yes. We're trying to plan around vacations and SDLV prep. So um, we are still going to keep dropping episodes.
episodes and uh, we'll try as hard as we can to get them out on Tuesdays, but know that they will be coming if they don't show up right away. Sound good? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you said you hit the nail right on the head. There's so much going on. The summer seems to be one of the busiest. Of course, uh, work is crazy. Uh, as you know, working together, it's, it's, it's very crazy, but, uh, lots going on, like you said, uh, with the house coming up, uh, moving in in just a few short weeks. And, but you know what? We love doing Trek geeks and we are going to do it no matter what it takes. It's always fun conversation. And, uh, it's always great to put a little uh, time aside to finally have those talks and get it out to the folks who love to listen. And we really appreciate everybody who listens to it. We absolutely do. And now, Dan, if you wouldn't mind, if you would let those listening uh, know how they can get in touch with us with their comments, questions, suggestions, or, or other correspondence, that would be fantastic. I'd be happy to do so, my friend. It is very easy to get in touch with us. Uh, head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you're going to find a variety of different ways to send us your thoughts, and And please take advantage of that because we do want to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and leave us a message. Uh, any, any of those ways is great. Plus, you can click the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. And hey, as always, Camp Kittimer is out there for you. Please join it. We'd love to have you as part of the family. Bill, I got to say, congratulations. We just hit recently our 1,000th member of Camp Kittimer. It is just unbelievable that uh, we have that many people who are who are engaged in the in the uh, website. It's so much fun. You got the Friday commute celebration. You got Trek Tuesday. You've got trivia, pictures, polls early release of the Trek Geeks podcast when we record on time, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to join the group, just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kinemer and Heather, Jackie, or Dan, who we love to death, uh, will let you right in to join in on all the fun. But uh, but Bill, please, please remember that uh, any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Kirk out. Oh, thank you, Captain. You know, you said uh, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, who we love to death. That made it sound like we only love Dan to death. And although we love Dan, we absolutely love Heather and Jackie. I mean, Dan's great and all. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, Heather and Jackie are, are well, awesome. It, it did not. It did not. It was not meant to sound like that because we do love them all. Heather, we, we love you. Jackie, we love you. Dan, you're all right. <laughs> no, no, we love that guy we too. Love Dan. We're looking forward to seeing all three of them in just five weeks oh, at Star God. Trek Las Vegas. We're going to yes. have a little Camp Kittimer uh, reunion, which will be nice. Um, and they take such great care of us, and they're such great friends of us and the show. So, uh, Dan, speaking of voicemails and speakpipe, we actually have a few voicemails to get into today Excellent. before we get into the news. So, let's uh, do that now. The first one is from. Myra from Georgia, who wanted to talk a little bit about Say Something Nice. Hello, Trek Geeks. This is Myra from Georgia, and I want to thank you for this week's Say Something Good podcast. This is just a reminder that after making Lizard Love on an Emerging Planet, the transformed Captain Janeway and Tom Paris brought to us Star Trek fans everywhere three adorable salamander babies. So there's something good in Voyager Season 2, Episode 15, Threshold. Hashtag hot lizard love, Dan. 
<laughs> that was great. Yeah, I, it, there is something nice to say about every episode. So, Salamander Babies. Hashtag Salamander Babies. Love it. Ha- hashtag Breaking the Prime Directive, but that's a topic for another discussion. <laughs> um, that's just me. Uh, no, Myra, thank you so much for that voicemail. We're really glad that you called in. And thanks so much for saying something nice about Say Something Nice. Our, our next voicemail is from Chris from Las Vegas. Who Dan, you and I are going to meet for the first time in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a couple of things to say. Hey, guys. Chris, at TrekFanLV Twitter handle here. Just want to let you guys know that you guys are doing a great job. You guys put out some quality podcasts. And I enjoy listening to you every chance I get. Also want to say thank you for announcing me as one of the four winners of the uh, send, hashtag send your ships. Uh, and I will be looking forward to getting the NCC 1701D in the mail. Also would like to say, uh, again, thank you to Bill. Thank you to Dan Davidson. Dan, you are truly a inspiration or an inspiration to everybody that you come across those that hear your story so once again thank you guys and i look forward to meeting you at stlv 2018 chris thanks so much for the voicemail um dan you are many things but clearly inspirational and uh and chris was spot on looking forward to meeting him and uh and uh we're so glad that he sent his ships <laughs> yeah chris uh man i can't thank you enough for those kind words uh you're gonna get a hug in vegas brother i really appreciate it um i'm glad that uh, uh that you found my story uh um inspirational and and like i said it's something that i don't mind telling because if i can help somebody it's worth it so uh i appreciate it thanks for the kind words even the kind words about bill i i gotta say i i'm i'm impressed very impressed I inspire no one, and I'm proud of that. I just want to say that right <laughs> off the bat. I'm um, I'm not good at modesty. I'm great at it. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> no, Chris, seriously, thank you very much, man. Looking forward to seeing you in five weeks. And then, Dan, lastly, we have one final voicemail from Allie from California. Hi, guys. Thanks for the great podcast. This is Allie Martinez, better known as 22-year-old Trekkie. And I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of feedback on your episode about Quark and Odo. And I know I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to try to get through this really quick. I definitely agree with some most of your talking points. And the first one being that I was a little bit skeptical at first about having a Ferengi presence on DS9 because I didn't know if it was going to be purely for comic relief or not. And I was definitely happily surprised because I think that Quark has a lot of depth to him. And um, I definitely also agree with you guys, your talking points about Odo and how he's very resilient. And, you know, he he follows justice, structure, good or bad. Um, and then when he starts to get closer with Quark, I mean, they've had a longstanding relationship, but we see that Quark kind of brings a new level to Odo and how Odo has to, you know, step back and realize that, know, give Quark a little bit of leeway and then it might help you in the end. So I think that Odo's, you know, black and white lines kind of come back a little bit. Um, I also agree that I think Quark is an extremely, you know, developed character and I didn't expect to see that from a Ferengi. Um, And I, I think that he uses Odo as a little bit of a means to an end, but also in the end comes to really care about him and we, we see that. So thanks for the great podcast, and I'll definitely be listening in the future. 
Allie, thank you so much. We appreciate the voicemail. And uh, Dan, some great comments about both Odo and Quark and uh, Deep Space Nine in general. Yeah, absolutely. I loved uh, the things that Allie had to say about about the two of them. And, and she had a lot of points that uh, um, the whole the whole dynamic that we talked about, where, oh, is it going to be okay to have a Ferengi on as, as a lead character? And she nailed it. Um, great job, Allie. And by the way, just again, keep the hair short. Brings out your eyes. Just want to let you know about that. I'm sure you'll get a smile there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I love hearing these voicemails from all the people that, that take the time to send us a message. Uh, it really means a lot to me. I'm sure it does a lot to you, Bill. Um, and it's great to hear these different ideas about the different characters that we love to talk so much. So keep them coming, folks. Absolutely. Dan, it's time for the news from TrekNews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. As a plane flies overhead, it's TrekNews.net. Online at treknews.net. Dan, we got uh, we got some significant news this week. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, right off the bat, um, this is perhaps uh, some of the biggest news in, in quite a long time since um, we were told there was going to be a new Star Trek series. And um, let's just say it involves more Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about this, this may be one of the biggest announcements God, and, and, and even bigger than when the new Star Trek show Discovery was coming out, because there's a lot going on here. So like you said, let's get right into it. Alex Kurtzman, who just recently took over as the head of Star Trek Discovery, has inked a five-year deal with CBS for just what Bill just said, more Star Trek. And that's never a bad thing. Some of the highlights of this uh, contract signing is, like I said, it's a five-year deal. It extends through 2023. And Kurtzman will supervise the expansion of Star Trek on television and is expected to develop a new series, miniseries, other content opportunities, which could possibly include a new animated series. Whoa. Um, there's just so much awesome stuff to digest with this announcement. Some of the rumors that are floating out there, according to Hollywood Reporter, is that this new deal could potentially be tied to a new Star Trek The Next Generation reboot with Sir Patrick Stewart. Now, this is just a rumor, but any rumor, if something's gonna if something comes of it, it's gonna be pretty excited, exciting. And um I am. I don't know about you, Bill, but I am just so thrilled at this news. This came out of nowhere for 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 me at least, um, and it came right on the heels of the uh, change in leadership at Discovery. So um, I'm I'm ecstatic. I I I am very excited. I, I do have some concerns. Um, I don't know. I I don't know that it's time to bring back Picard. Honestly. No. Um, I, I disagree with that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jean-Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. I love Star Trek The Next Generation. I love Patrick Stewart. But um, uh, uh, either either they're going to find a way to carry on the character from where he is now, or I don't know, are they going to pull a young Sheldon and yeah. do a younger Picard with Sir Patrick um, providing narration? Either way, I just, I'm not jazzed with this. I want to see Star Trek go forward at some point. 
Um, so we'll see. I mean, but like it's a rumor. I mean, it may not even be yeah. on the table because people have taken one quote from Sir Patrick saying well, he, he guesses he better get caught up on Discovery and turn it into he's either going to be on Discovery or he's going to be in a show. Exactly. And like, like you said, these are rumors. There's going to be all kinds of rumors that are going to come out in the next few weeks. One of the things that I would like to see, and I don't know if this has been discussed anywhere, but I'm very excited about the possibility of an animated series. We know that the original animated series wasn't the best. The animation wasn't, oh, I don't know, top notch might be the best way to put it. Um, I would kind of like to see if they do an animated series to do something along the lines of what the Star Wars franchise did. It'd be great if you get a whole new set of characters, whole new adventures, and continue the Star Trek universe on its own in different directions. One of the things that I found very interesting when I was down in Disney uh, a couple of months ago was I went to the Star Wars area and they had these cases of different lightsabers like Luke Skywalker's and Yoda's and and uh, Anakin's. But they also had several of the lightsabers from the characters from the cartoon animated series, which I've never watched. So they're very popular. And I think that that kind of animated series could do wonders for Star Trek. I agree. I'm very jazzed about an animated series. Um, there was one that was proposed about, I think, 15 years ago or maybe less called, uh, I want to say, First Frontier or something like that. Um, and there was a big article on like Trek movie detailing it. And I thought that that concept seemed really great. Some of the concept art was fantastic, mm. um, but it, it wasn't to be. So um, I can only hope that maybe they pick up that thread or go with something else. But I think it's a great way to tell new stories um, in a different way that, that might expose different people to Star Trek. And I'm all for that. I really am. You know, what's funny is, as you said that, you reminded me of Admiral Haftel. They were drawing faster than my eyes could see. It just wasn't meant to be. Sorry. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, in other news, and uh, we've (laughs) we've got some late-breaking news to add to this. Uh, Great news for fans of Deep Space Nine who are going to Star Trek Las Vegas um, because there are some brand-new guests added to STLV that we didn't think were going to be there. Yes, indeed. You know, folks who follow me on the Twitters may have seen a couple of weeks ago, I voiced my frustration when I found out that according to Rene Abergenois, he, Armin, Nornana, visitor, were going to be at STLV for the big 25th anniversary celebration. And I was very upset about that. Um, while Armin had a previous engagement at the time, uh, Rene mentioned that creation had not yet invited at least him to the convention. Well, last Saturday, I was thrilled to see a, a tweet from Renee, and I'm going to quote it right now. It says, Hey, I'm delighted to announce that Creation Entertainment has made it possible for me to attend the 25th anniversary celebration in Las Vegas. Great thanks to Adam and Gary for their friendship and support. And I am elated that Renee is going to be there. It's great news for fans. It's great news for STLV. And I was going to say in this segment that I hope that other DS9 folks who aren't on the docket are able to get invited by creation. But Bill, as you said, I think there's some late breaking news that I know you're just dying to let the cat out of the bag. Oh, see, I figured you were going to let the cat out of the bag. So I was taking a giant sip of water just then. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dan, it is announced today, 
as we record this Tuesday, June 26th, that both Nana Visitor and Armin Shimmerman will be at Star Trek Las Vegas. So uh, Armin apparently still does have a previous engagement. He's doing a play, but they're re- I guess they're reworking the schedule so that he can appear and Nana will also be there. So I'm excited that all three key people in Deep Space Nine will be on board at STLV. I think that's the best news of the week so far. It is fantastic news, and I I guarantee you, creation is huddled in their in their creation room trying to figure out a way to put an all cast photo together to cost a hundred million dollars per person to take a picture, and I'll be first in line. <laughs> yeah, but mine will still have Avery Brooks in it. So no. um, I know, no. I know. Dan, uh, moving on, and speaking about STLV. Uh, We want to remind everybody about the fantastic second annual Fan Geeks party at the other room in Las Vegas coming up on Friday, August 3rd, don't we? Absolutely. Uh, The other room over at Caesars Palace, uh, Friday, August 3rd from 8 p.m. until 11 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, We are thrilled to be partners with our dear friends over at Fansets for another great night of Star Trek fun, food, drinks, prizes like you are not even going to believe pins that are going to be given away there's going to be a special commemorative pin highlighting the second annual fan geeks party for everybody who shows up uh we can't wait uh for this night i think it's going to be the funnest night of the week at stlv at least for you and i bill we're going to be proud hosts and mcs again and uh i'm really looking forward to a great time with all our star trek family out there We're going to have a great time. We're going to play some Stump the Geek with the crowd. And we promise that unlike the questions for Dan, um, you should be able to get some of these. So you're going to win some amazing free stuff. Dan, I got to tell you, I was chatting with Lou Halbeth from Fansets just the other night. And he was telling me some of the things that they're going to be giving away at this Fan Geeks party this year. Mm-hmm. I, I my jaw hit the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I can't un, I can't oversell this because they are giving away some stuff that I am just absolutely stunned at. And I'm not going to tell I'm not going to say a word about it now, but trust me when we say you're going to want to be at this party. I w- I want to be at this party. Uh you I'm, are, but I'm you can't be at win. this party. You but can't I, oh. win. Yeah. And I'm psyched to be hosting for a second straight year. Uh, it was so much fun last oh, year. We great. had no idea how many people were going to show up and, and the house was packed. I mean, it was, it, it was an amazing turnout for an, you know, a party outside the Rio. So it's, it, we're on the, the fabulous Las Vegas trip again this year. We hope everybody comes out to the other room at the forum shops at Caesars palace on Las Vegas Boulevard on Friday, August 3rd. Here, here. How, How about that? (laughs) That's awesome. Dan, in other news, as recently discussed here on the Trek Geeks podcast, Houston Huddleston of the Hollywood Sci-Fi and Hollywood Horror Museums was facing child pornography charges, and it looks like that case has now concluded in the court system. Uh, Yes, it has. Uh, Mr. Huddleston has pled guilty to one count of possession of child pornography as part of the plea deal. The other two counts against him, contacting a minor with the intent to commit a felony, and attempting to coerce a minor to participate in the production of child pornography were dropped. He was sentenced to time served, which was 63 days in jail, three years probation, and must now register as a sex offender. Uh, so as a result of this guilty plea, uh, Bill and I have decided that episode 35 of Trek Geeks featured, featuring Mr. Huddleston will permanently be removed from our podcast thread. 
we find the charge he has pled guilty to to be reprehensible. And as previously mentioned, the interview with him asks listeners to donate to the Sci-Fi Museum fundraiser. Uh, as it appears that this is now dead in the water, and based on these vile acts, we will not subject our listeners to the discussion. And Bill, I think uh, I think it speaks for itself. Uh, I do too. I think there's plenty that we could add editorially, but um, it's not worth it um, because uh, we want to enjoy uh, doing the podcast. And um, I, I have nothing good to say about this situation, as I know you don't either. So. Right. Um, uh, People can debate whether justice was served. Um, I, I don't know if it was. Um, that was left in the hands of, of other people, and I guess time will tell. Finally, Dan, um, we do have to say that fans of Star Trek The Motion Picture, of which you and I are definitely mm. big fans of that film, have something really nice to look forward to. Well, or, or a group of them did, and you're going to explain more about that. <laughs> yeah, well... The iconic artwork for Star Trek The Motion Picture, the movie poster itself, by artist Bob Peake, is being licensed and released by Iconic LE Prints um, as a limited edition screen print. Very, very nice 24 by 36 cardstock prints. They're going to be available in a regular edition, which will be limited to only 100 copies with the Star Trek, the motion picture logo and quote, the adventure, the human adventure is just beginning tagline. Um, and also a variant edition will be available limited to only 50 copies that will not have the writing with the Star Trek, the motion picture or the human adventure wording. Uh, they will be priced at $120 and $140 respectively. Now I got to tell you, Bill, this would have been just, oh, I don't know, the perfect housewarming gift for when Sue and I move into the new home next month. But um, you don't have to worry because, yeah, they're already sold out. All gone. Bye-bye. I checked wow. it yesterday. <laughs> yep. So here's hoping that some additional prints are made up because they're gorgeous and I want one. <laughs> um, I have to hope that maybe they'll do this with some of the other posters um, yeah. or even put this one back in circulation because clearly there's demand. You know, it is such an, like, you're right. It is iconic. I mean, it is one of the best movie posters of the 1970s, hands down. And mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I mean, they based the Star Trek Beyond poster on it in a way. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Right. So um, so maybe they'll come back around to this. Who knows? But um, I think the thing that's really cute is you thought I was getting you a housewarming present. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice. A man can dream because the human adventure is just beginning. We draw close to the microphones this week to discuss one of our favorite elements in Star Trek and how it's taken us 143 episodes to get to this. I'll never know because, well, I mean, there's so much to talk about and so much to love about Star Trek. But, you know, when we consider our fandom and how it got off the ground, um, I think that one of the things we've always loved, you and I, is the Starship Enterprise. And it made sense to talk about that storied name and that vessel or vessels in this week's episode. Yeah. Uh, I, it, what can you say about the enterprise? She's, she's so gorgeous. Every, every iteration, whether you love one particular one over any of the other ones, it's the enterprise. 
it's gorgeous. It's wonderful. It brings back so many memories when you look at the original. Um, you think of when you became a fan, if you're someone who started with TNG and you think of the Enterprise D. It's always been a an integral part of Star Trek. And even the shows that don't have the Enterprise in it, somewhere it's going to be mentioned or it's going to be seen in a backdrop. Or something's going to happen. And the Enterprise is Star Trek. And I, like you said, I can't believe it took so long to uh, dedicate an episode to her. I agree. Well, you think of those other shows that may not have the Enterprise, but – you know, they all hearken back to that original design of Matt Jeffries. Mm-hmm. You know, if he doesn't design, you know, the, the TOS Enterprise, you know, in 64, 65, you know, to, to sort of get the cage going, then really none of this looks the way it does now. You know, his design is just, it's its beautiful. I mean, at first when I saw it as a kid, I didn't quite get it, right? Because as I sit here holding the Eagle Moss version in my hot little hands. Oh, you, you know, jerk. The, I know, the tiny starship. Um, <laughs> and thank you for that. I love being called a jerk on the <laughs> podcast. You know, there's just, it's, there's a symmetry to this enterprise that I think is just gorgeous. You know, and from every angle, it looks great. I mean, you understand that the the warp nacelles sticking up there are engines, and you understand that there's a primary part of the ship and a secondary part of the ship. You know, as a kid, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. It's a flying saucer with other stuff. But I think they sort of took that mythos of of the flying saucer because we were just coming past uh, you know, the late 50s and early 60s where that tended to be all the rage and really turned it into something utilitarian and beautiful, I think. Well, you just hit the nail on the head, man. You, you, the flying saucer. I mean, all the, you know, uh, or the worlds and, and stuff like that. The flying saucer, of course, the primary uh, saucer section. But also you think of things like, you know, Flash Gordon with the with the regular rocket. And at that time, you know, the, the rockets for going to the moon and stuff. I kind of see that as the secondary hull in kind of a horizontal position. So Matt Jeffries took, in my mind, took both of those things that were popular at the time and put them together in a great great version of a ship that we had never seen the likes of before. I, I agree with that. Absolutely. You know, see, I remember seeing it on television in, in the first time and it was a, and my parents had this, I want to say it was a 28 inch Admiral color TV. It was one of those console things that sat on the floor and, you know, it had to, had the wooden top and the wooden sides and, you know, that, that gigantic picture tube. I think the thing must have weighed 500 pounds for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking I about. I do. I absolutely do. Um, but I remember seeing it on TV the very first time. And, you know, the opening credits for Star Trek are, are pretty inspirational. And it whooshes on by. And you're like, wow, what's that? Mm. You know, it's traveling so fast. And, you know, it symbolized to me, even as a kid, you know, the, the future. Yeah, you know, just that that whoosh, because it said that we were going somewhere. We were going there really fast, and we may not know what it is when we get there, but this is what we'll be doing someday. And I think that that's really what spoke to me about the Enterprise. What about you? Do you remember the first time you saw it on television? The very first time. I don't know if I remember the very first time, but I remember when I was a kid and not wanting to watch the show because, as we've talked about before, my brother wanted to watch it, and and I didn't really care to um as i was forced to watch it i would see it and i i I remember at one point um after watching it for a little while i'm like why is this ship not like tumbling through space like a somersault because that top (laughs) section looks really too much for the rest of it and it doesn't make any sense 
Um, <laughs> but then again, there's no gravity in space, right? And warp bubbles. Of course, that's further down the road. But but that's what I remember thinking is like the ship is cool. It's really neat. I love the I love the engines. Um, I love how the the ends of the nacelles had that little little twisty glow in some seasons. Um, but it was always something I always was like, God, okay, if the turbo lift can go sideways and up and down, where will it be when it's going down to engineering? I used to think of things like that when I would watch the show and also look at the um, metallic poster that my brother had in his room that I accidentally scratched with an antenna, but that's for a story for another day. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned, you know, why didn't it tumble over? I, I can distinctly remember watching the opening credits for the first time, and it looked like that the saucer was pitched forward a little bit or pitched down. <laughs> so it looked like it was sort of flying with the saucer not level at first when it zips right on by doing the whoosh. So, uh, you know, I can totally understand where you're coming from in that regard. Because, you know, if you watch those opening credits, that's the first thing I think of was, wow, it's going to tip over. absolutely but you know it it makes me you remember why i love this ship so much because of what it symbolized to me and then it's like well you know it it's an important character in the show um but it i i think that what phrase or what what sets the the table for this in my mind is because the enterprise itself is treated with a kind of reverence in the Mm. story. You know, the enterprise is not disposable. You know, the enterprise is not just the ship. I mean, you know, you you think of the opening monologue and it's not the voyages of captain Kirk. It's not the voyages of Starfleet. It's the voyages of the starship enterprise. I mean, it's given some importance right up front, you know, in, in Shatner's, you know, introduction of the, of, of the series, you know, in, in the opening credits every week. So, you know, it's, it's that reverence. It's that, it's how they established it as an important character that I think really makes us love this ship as fans. Um, what about you? I mean, obviously when, when you watched Star Trek, did you feel that same reverence for the Enterprise? I think on some levels, the Enterprise, at least possibly to the captain, was more important than members of his crew to some point which is kind of a cruel thing to say but i mean it in that you've seen the episodes where where he's i'll never lose you never i mean he just his ship is the most important thing and you've got to wonder the needs of the many uh that whole speech when it comes to the ship what would kirk do and i've always been under the belief that the crew held a very special place but the ship to Kirk was was above all. I don't know well, if I'm way off base of that, but that's how I've always felt. No, I can understand that, especially coming to it from that age. You know, depending on what episodes you saw in syndication, because they, they were never aired in order. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have seen that episode early on and go, wow, this guy really loves this ship. Um, but no, I don't think you're off base at all because – you know, the Enterprise is, you know, does have a, a certain significance and prominence in Kirk's life. I mean, that gets carried forward all the way into fan films like Star Trek Continues the White Iris, honestly. Right. Um, this, at the very end, you know, th- the relationship between Kirk and the Enterprise is special. And, you know, it 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 is, it's part of who he is, um, for want of, of a better phrase. And I think that as fans, it's part of who we are. 
because of the way we invest ourselves in these stories and these episodes and these characters. You know, it could have been any ship, you know, it could have been this, this, you know, whole Star Trek thing could have started with a ship named Voyager or Discovery, you know, or Yorktown if Gene had had his way initially. Right. But something about the Enterprise just works for us. And it's, it's good that it started to evolve because I think that at some point, you know, we realized that, you know, Spock may be the, the soul of Star Trek, but the Enterprise really is its heart. That's a great way to put it, man. And one of the things I know we're going to get into this later, but I, it 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 has to be discussed right now because of what we're talking about is on television. It's that important reverence with the Enterprise and and the love of the ship, and it's an incredibly important character in TOS and in other TV iterations of Star Trek. Because as you and I both know, when it comes to the movies, that's completely different. Yeah, we've talked about that a couple of times. It seems like the Enterprise is not treated with the same reverence in film, and it doesn't matter if it's the prime timeline or the Kelvin timeline. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. I do just want to clarify one thing as we start to talk about other ships named Enterprise, is that there are a few Enterprises that we left off this list on purpose. Um, the purpose of this discussion tonight was to talk about you know the Enterprise in scope of the series as a regular character, if you will. So that means that other enterprises like the B, which showed up in Star Trek Generations, like the C, which showed up in yesterday's Enterprise, and like the uh, the Enterprise, was it J? J. Yep. And that was, in, that was in Enterprise, right? No, that was in, uh, was it? Uh, yes, it was. You're correct. Yeah. What was yeah. it, Voyager? Um, I no, thought that it was, was a relativity. That was relativity, right. Yeah, so uh, the the B, the C, and the J really aren't in scope of this discussion. Are these ships named Enterprise? They sure are. But we don't get the chance to develop that that feeling or that bond with them. And that's kind of why we left it out out of the discussion. Um, The the Enterprise is usually one thing to a lot of people. And although the ships are cool, don't get me wrong, um, and maybe we'll talk about them some other time, um, we figured it was best to leave them off tonight. So um, that kind of explains why we did it that way. So as the Enterprise evolves over time, I think the first variation we see on her is in the animated series. And granted, some of the interiors don't look exactly the same, but you know when you watch the animated series right off the bat that, yep, that is the Starship Enterprise I know and love. Oh, it absolutely is. But at the same time, when when we were, I was going through the notes of what we're going to talk about tonight, and and this iteration of of the Enterprise was was a topic, I kind I kind of snickered a little bit because, um, you know, I I watched the animated series for our our special seat or skip it, and I have a better appreciation for it than I did when I first saw it as a kid. But some of the some of the renderings of the Enterprise in the animated series are just awful. Um, but you you did you did say it correctly. You know it's the Enterprise when you're watching the show, whether it's an interior or exterior shot. You know it's the Enterprise, and I will give it that. But um, I don't see a lot of evolution of the Enterprise with the animated series. If anything, I see a little bit of de-evolution. Uh, okay, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of the things that that Enterprise is important for is the audience it spoke to. Well, that's yeah, because- true. Kids seeing this ship on a Saturday morning on NBC in the mid seventies are are kind of enthralled by that spaceship, 
and perhaps it makes them check out the original series. I think that that particular enterprise is is unique to a certain generation. It would be our generation because we were the kids that would have been watching it, you know, at that time. And I, I think it was. I think it's important to fandom that that version of the enterprise existed because it opened the door to more people watching a form of Star Trek, if that makes sense. It does, but I don't know if it was the Enterprise that made the kids want to watch the original series when they were seeing it on the animated series. If anything, it was just simply the magics of Mazik. Magic, magic, oh, <laughs> <laughs> the best part for me is when you blow a joke. I, I, it's I know, fantastic. And I just did. Dro, sorry. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, the magics of Magic 2? Magic 2, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know it's your favorite animated series episode. So I get it. I mean, that's why your heart goes there, Dan. <laughs> See, you didn't screw up the joke. I did. So thank you. Um, thank you. What can I say? That's, um, I'm a seasoned professional, and I didn't even go to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. <laughs> Jeez. Unlike somebody on this <laughs> podcast. But anyway, yeah. yet we digress. I think that probably my favorite iteration of the Enterprise uh, out of all of them has to be the refit from the motion picture. Yes, there's no way in hell it could be the same ship as the original series. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stipulate that right now. It's longer. <laughs> it, 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 you know, they may as well have just scuttled the old ship and built a new one. The lines are completely different. The, um, the secondary hull is completely different. The saucer is completely different. The the pylons for the warp nacelles sweep back instead of you know heading straight down. And of course, the warp nacelles themselves don't even resemble anything like the original series. But it was Gene's opportunity to update things for feature films. And I have to say, I love all of the decisions in that enterprise. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit of a stretch to say it was a refit, but it was a refit, but I really love where they took that design. And for me, even though I love the TOS enterprise, this is the ship that speaks to my heart. It's as if Gene took the original enterprise, which was a softball and then hit a grand slam in game seven of the world series with the refit because he hit it out of the park with that. I absolutely 100% agree with you. We were talking about this today, uh, commuting to work on the different angles and lines in this version of the enterprise. And I thought about that several times during the day today. And you're absolutely right. The angles and the lines on this ship are breathtaking and beautiful from any angle the camera is showing. One of the best parts about the motion picture is that 10 minute scene where they're on the shuttle pod looking at the ship from all kinds of angles. It's beautiful. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really amazing what they're able to do. Like you said, first big movie seventies, you know, star Wars time, a lot of space stuff going on. And, and they killed it with this man. People dog on what I like to call the, the starship porn scene. Um, you know, where they do that fly around of the enterprise and reintroduce it. It's, it is one of the best scenes in the movie. It's like you mentioned angles. And as I look at the, the tiny little Eagle Moss model of the, the, the TOS enterprise, it looks good from various angles, but I mean, it, if I look at some of the angles, the way I look at the motion picture enterprise, it does not, it would not photograph nearly as well. I think that the TMP refit being more angular 
was much better for lighting and much better for the types of shots they worked into Star Trek, the motion picture. Don't get me wrong. I think the TOS enterprise is a classic beauty. I adore it. That's why I have two of them in my home office right now with a third one, uh, you know, that uh, eventually I'll, I'll finish building as the mega box kit. But that TMP enterprise to me is just absolutely perfect in every way. And that may seem like a contradiction to some people, but I, I don't know how else to explain it. Oh, I agree with you. I remember when I was a, a teenager, I had a model kit of the refitted enterprise. And one of my favorite parts of putting that model together was when I was doing the warp engines, putting them together and then finding neon blue paint to paint the uh, <laughs> engines. It was like when they're at warp, you, that, that orange, excuse me, that blue glow rather. Um, I just vividly remember painting those and just being so happy that I found the paint that would work correctly for that. It, that's one of the things that I love about this. Like you said, the original series may be my favorite because it's the classic, it's the antique, it's the one that everybody remembers first. But this souped up model of the Enterprise and those gorgeous glowing warp engines, were, I think, was the thing that I first took notice of when we saw it on screen. Now, I can't talk about the TMP refit without talking about the destruction of the Starship Enterprise in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock and how truly it broke my heart. You know, we've talked many times, I've used the phrase, my boyhood ship of dreams, and that's what the Enterprise was. People who've listened to the 100th episode of the Trek Geeks podcast, where we visit uh, the, the sets of Star Trek continues in part one of a journey to futures past, know of why I have such a, I feel such a closeness to the Enterprise, um, whether it's the TOS one or the TMP one. And when it was destroyed in Star Trek Three. I felt a little bit as though that sort of safe place from my childhood no longer existed. And I felt a little vulnerable. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's, I didn't cry when Spock died, but I'm going to tell you what, I was bawling when they blew up the enterprise. I understood what it meant in the scope of the characters. I mean, they had to turn it into a chance to survive, but you know, the, the fan in me in, in, in 19 was it 84. Uh, was just, uh, I was crestfallen. I truly was. I think uh, both of us have talked about that. You know, losing Spock was was devastating, but watching the Enterprise saucer section dissolving and then the entire thing just exploding was a punch in the stomach like I had not had before when watching a movie. You're absolutely right. Same thing. I was, I was devastated when the Enterprise was destroyed. Um, and it was destroyed for no reason. And I've, you know, I, I like Star Trek three. You're not as big a fan as I am. I, I think that it kind of was a bad way for that ship to go out. Um, but watching it <laughs> suffer, is that the right word? As it was <laughs> kind of starting to fall into the atmosphere and, and, uh, those, you know, like I said, the, those, those, it's like, like, tinders like it looked reminded me of on that on that hall oh god it just oh, it just kills me and now of course you can get a all orange model of the enterprise uh, <laughs> from star trek 3 from some company that made an orange enterprise <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it ought to have the, the you know the general lee zero one painted on the bottom you know it's it's interesting because uh, i don't necessarily look at the destruction as as wasted in that because i mean they they had to get out of that situation somehow. Though I thought that the really bummer was going to be, they were, you know, retiring the enterprise at the beginning of the movie. Little did I know they were just going to blow the damn thing up later on. 
<laughs> the Enterprise has seen her day. I was really pissed at Admiral Morrow at that point. I'm like, what? The Enterprise, what? It's a spaceship. She's Looking seen forward her- to breaking some of Enterprise's speed records tomorrow. Oh, my God. Excelsior? I wanted that thing to just, you know, melt down. I was not a big fan of it. I mean, I, li- I like the design. Don't get me wrong. I just was not a big fan of the whole concept of Excelsior and trans warp drive. Please. <laughs> Please. Um, but we did get a chance to to still enjoy that design when they you know resurrected the models, the Enterprise A. Mm-hmm. That scene at the end of Star Trek Four where they come into space dock and, and that ship comes into view. It's like a, seeing an old friend again. Yeah. And I think that's really, for me one of the best endings of a Star Trek movie. My friends, we've come home. Great line. Uhura's holding on to, I think it's Kirk's shoulder or maybe it's McCoy's, uh, looking over everybody as, as they fly over the Excelsior. And it was, it's, I didn't expect it. I did not expect that to happen. And it was a great, great return, uh, to seeing that ship again. I loved it. Me too. I mean, you figured they had to do something. There was a lot of conjecture as to whether or not Kirk and crew would get the Excelsior. Um, you know, before Star Trek four came out, I remember reading, I want to say it was Starlog at the time and yeah, there were various letters and I, I know that that was a point of conjecture. I'm glad it wasn't the Excelsior, um, because Captain Kirk in command of the Excelsior just doesn't sound doesn't right. Doesn't sound right at all. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't play on the ears the right way. So, all. and then of course we got to enjoy many a movie with the Enterprise A. And as we pointed out in every motion picture other than TMP, that ship really kind of gets the crap kicked out of it. <laughs> yes, indeed it does. Yep. Star Trek six. I always thought it was interesting how the, without the shields, that torpedo just went right through the saucer section, like a bowling ball or a cannonball. I always thought that was interesting. It really was like a cannonball. It's a great analogy. I never thought about that before. Um, but you know, then we jump forward. It's 1987. You know, we get to enjoy the premiere of a Star Trek series for the first time in our lives. You know, uh, there was no internet, so we had to rely on whatever information we saw, like on the newsstands and magazines or or whatever, maybe some fan newsletters. And so that weekend, we sit down and we watch Star Trek The Next Generation for the first time. And the very first shot is this sort of beauty pass over the 1701D. And I got to tell you, I watched it on my birthday that year. It was the day I turned 18 and I thought it was the worst birthday present ever. <laughs> wow. I'm like, that's the enterprise. That's not the enterprise. That's a, that's a, what, is, what the hell is that? I was a not big, a big fan of the design. It's a big blue pancake with windows <laughs> and a sled. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah, it did take some getting used to, didn't it? Um, uh, it's well, you can kind of put it along the same lines as this show doesn't have Kirk and Spock. Well, I'm not going to watch it. Well, this show doesn't have the enterprise that we remember. Well, I'm not going to watch it. I'm sure yeah. that there were people that thought that way for me personally. I didn't care for it at first, um, until it became more real. Uh, let me try if, if I can explain that a little bit for the first season, maybe the first two seasons. I'm not sure the lighting that they used when they were doing exterior shots of the enterprise D made it look extremely fake to me. It didn't make it, it didn't look like a model and it didn't look like a real ship. 
later on as technology advanced and they were using better models and cameras and special effects. I always think of the the shots that we see of the Enterprise D when it's it's turning on its axis to go off in a different direction and you have the starlight or sunlight shining on the hull and it it looks three-dimensional and it looks like a real ship. That's when I started to appreciate it a little bit more. But the first season or two, I wasn't a huge fan of it. The one thing that I think of is, uh, I believe it was an encounter at Farpoint, when they shoot down a, not a deflector beam, but some kind of beam. And you kind of see it, the Enterprise way off in the distance as it's shooting that beam down. I'm like, I could draw that better than it looks on TV right now. That's what I thought. (laughs) I've seen you draw. That's pretty, that's a a pretty bold statement. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have to say the first time I I felt a connection to that ship was probably in QQ in the second season. Uh, when they come up against the Borg for the first time and they use the cutting beam and they take that cross section out of the ship. And it's the Can first time it? something like that has ever happened to the Enterprise on screen mm-hmm. in Star Trek. And you think about, you know, the, those crew members just gone in an instant. And it really kind of gave you goosebumps. You know, you're carving like, us up like a roast. Yeah. And they really were. And I think that's the first time I felt an attachment to that ship. I'm like, how, they can't do that to the enterprise. I mean, this is, this is, this is bad. This is very bad. Yeah. And I think after that is when I started to warm up to the design and the ship in general, you're right. I mean, there was a definite lighting change, uh, late season two, early season three, where things looked a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of the best of both worlds is a great example of sort of when it really was spot on the look of the enterprise in space. They did some really great work in in late season two and throughout season three and the rest of the show. Um, And then they just kept upping their game after that. So by the time we got to all good things, I I was all in on the Enterprise and Generations, when they crashed that thing on the ship, I thought that was an amazing sequence and I was a little bummed. Yeah, I I will say the interior of the ship, I always loved. I love the bridge of the Enterprise D. I love the horseshoe. I love the the ramps instead of steps or stairs to come down to the to where the captain usually stands and and, uh, where helm where helm is and the the giant view screen. I've always appreciated that right from the beginning. Um, But you're absolutely right. That crash scene in Generations, as much as we like to dig on Generations, that's a pretty amazing scene. You know, it's. It, there's some people who hate the way that whole scene looks because it's essentially a giant model of the saucer dragged behind a pickup truck, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a practical effect. And I think it looks amazing. It's not just CGI. I mean, they shot that thing on a camera being dragged across the ground. And I think that's why I like it because it, it gives a little bit of realism. Mm-hmm. You add to that, the other shots of it just crashing through the trees and, and the looks of the crew, you know, and the, and the cutaway shots. And I, I think it's a really remarkable sequence. Nice job, Deanna. Yeah. (laughs) Every time she drives the ship, what the hell? (laughs) Um, The second one, not her fault. I blame that on Picard, but um, it's it's, it's a ship that I I was glad we had. I don't think the D looked as good on the big screen, honestly. And I think that that's why the E made much more sense for the next generation um, and we go, and we go back to talking about angles like the, the TMP enterprise. I think that this ship, the enterprise E had much better angles for filming and lighting as far as film goes. Absolutely. One of the things that I like about the enterprise E the most is a saucer section. That's not a saucer. Uh, it really has some 
angles to the saucer section, which kind of sounds contradictory in terms, but, but it, that's what I think of. Now you pointed out to me earlier that, you know, we've seen that in Voyager, but I tell you what, the enterprise E it just, it's, it's gorgeous. And, and it looks, it looks formidable and it looks sexy at the same time. They really did a good job with that one. I agree with you. I, I think that there are also some dev- design elements that kind of represent a nice blend of both, you know, the original series and the next generation. You know, when uh, when you swing around the the stern of that that ship and you look at the shuttle bay, and that just screams original series. Yeah, yeah. I I like the way that the warp pylons come up. It reminds me a little bit of you know the motion picture Enterprise, the way they sweep back, but. You're right. I mean, it's got some of the elements of the D on there, you know, the uh, the phaser array, the the shuttle bay. Um, it's it seems to be a nice, sensible blend, to the point where I think the Enterprise E is probably my second favorite personally, of you know the of the Enterprises. If I put TMP first, I think this one comes in at number two for me. It's interesting. I find the one thing that kind of makes me raise an eyebrow, so to speak, is. The deflector dish on the E looks a little out of place to me when you look at the rest of the ship and how it it all seems to flow. It seems a little strange to me, and I, I don't want. It's not like I'm digging it a lot, but I, I I suppose it works for how they were able to incorporate it into first contact. But it looked like a it looked too big for the Enterprise E. If that makes any sense. Um, I guess I never really thought about it. Um, sure. Like, I'll go with it. I, 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 think about. I personally like the way it looks. Um, I didn't really have a problem with it. I, I was not a big fan of the whole captain's yacht thing, but every now and then oh, Patrick true. Stewart's going to get what he wants. And I understand <laughs> that. <laughs> I can't Very fault nice. that. I really nope. can't. Um, the E not uh, treated okay for the most part. Um, but it definitely gets the crap kicked out of it in, in, in a couple of movies. Um, I thought it was nice to see it getting rebuilt at the end of, of uh, Nemesis. I thought it was a nice way to say that, you know, all of this goes on. Right. You know, um, it's like, uh, like they say in First Contact, plenty of letters left in the alphabet. But it's good to know that the E has plenty of life left in her. You know what I mean? Sure. Even though that was generations that they said that, but that's okay. Uh, no, it was First Contact. Are you sure? Yeah, it's uh, they talk about self-destructing the ship, and Beverly says, "Oh, the E, we hardly got a chance to know her." And <laughs> Picard says, uh, "That's okay. Plenty of letters left in the alphabet." Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, uh, you're right. It absolutely was first contact. Well, then you, maybe you should put that in Trek Geeks uh, or, or Stump the Geek. Um, <laughs> uh, why? Because now you, I've given the correct answer. <laughs> By the Oops. way, there's a Stump the Geek coming that you're gonna just. Uh, you're going to feel a lot of pain over. I just want to let you know about this. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Dan, as we move through our, our sort of uh, our, our observation lounge of enterprises on the wall, uh, we kind of have to talk about the NX-01 because um, it's so very different, isn't it? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it is. Um, I'm going to say right off the bat, when I first saw this ship, I hated it. And that hatred lasted, oh my God, it lasted for, oh, two episodes maybe. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, um, I, I was, retcon was new for me. And 
it wasn't something I really was grasping very well and seeing this ship, this isn't the enterprise for God's sake. It's got an NX instead of an NCC. And that just drove me crazy for the first episode or two. But then I really started to, to, to watch it and, and study it. And I was looking at pictures and, and I got to tell you one of the first posters I bought of a starship ever was the NX one. Really? Yeah. Yep. I, uh, I actually found it. It's it been in storage in a while and I found it when we were moving from Maine and I'm like, Oh my God. I remember when I bought it. I was so excited. I had it framed and everything. I don't think I ever had a ship poster before the NX one, even though it's so different than enterprise. Once I started accepting retcon and understanding it and agreeing with how things were done. Oh my God. I love the look of that ship. It's so great. And it could have been even greater had the series continued. Oh, don't get me started on that because I would have loved to have seen the addition of the secondary hull for season five. You know, Eagle Moss came up with a with a version of that model based on I think it was Doug Drexler's designs for the addition of the secondary hull, which would have made it look more like you know uh, the TOS Enterprise at least in in design. And I just I love it. I, I really wish it had happened because I think it would have added something really special to that show. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's like you said, I, I actually love that ship from the get-go because I thought it made sense to me. You know, it like you said, it was very different from Bow to Stern, no secondary hull. It was a different color, for God's sake. Yeah. But it, it, it seemed like it fit the timeline. Yes, okay, it doesn't look exactly like it predates TOS. Some of the technology looks different, but it's the same discussion with Star Trek Discovery and the visual refresh. It couldn't have looked older than than the original series enterprise worlds and nobody would have taken it seriously. Exactly. I, I can, I vividly remember that when this was first on and they're doing that, that, uh, that uh, kind of like the shuttle pod, uh, fly by from TMP. And I'm like, Oh my God, this looks so stupid. What the heck is that thing in the front? All it reminds me of is one of those electric electricity voltage tools that police use to stun the bad guys with. I'm like, this thing's never going to work. I remember saying that out loud and that, I mean, it's the dumbest reference I could have thought of, but that's what I was thinking at the time. Cause I was one of those, this isn't going to work from the get go, but I, it changed very, very quickly. Wow. That is pretty dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't pass that up. I'm sorry. I'm sure. No. Um, I remember getting the, uh, I want to say it was the diamond select toy of that enterprise. And I thought that that looked really fabulous. I, th- I think I have it in storage now. But I've really grown to love the NX-01. I think it's a fantastic ship. I love the design. Um, I think it's a, f- a great addition to the, the sort of hall of enterprises, if you will. And I think it, I think it fits the universe, which is really what, what matters to me. I can see it as a precursor for the TOS Enterprise. I really can. Wow. I, I've always thought um, after the series ended and I think about – where it sits in the history of starships, it has a very reliant look to it. Even though it's in the past from the reliant, it looks like the reliant. It's got just, you know, that one level. It's got the, the, the way that the, um, the, uh, um, engines are, are set up. I, I don't know why, or if you agree with that at all, but it, it, it rings reliant to me a little bit. I can see where you're coming from. If you sort of turned it upside down and, and mm. rearrange things just a smidge, it, it would look that way. Um, I'm kind of glad that it had the look it did though, because I think it, it really set the tone for this is different. And, um, 
uh, I think it, it, it gave us a more hopeful Starfleet as opposed to the one that knew what it was doing. You know what I mean? True. Yep, absolutely. And Dan, we kind of have to talk about the Kelvin timeline enterprises because those are, it's a major player. You know, I mean, there were big changes for the the J.J. Abrams movies. It was a bigger ship. It had a bigger crew. There were some distinct changes in the design. Um, I'll ask you at first, um, did, do you love the design of the Kelvin Enterprise? I love the Kelvin Enterprise. Really? I absolutely love it. Now, I know people hate it and can't stand it i just i just i think it's i think it's i think the changes are 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 subtle but also not subtle and i know that completely makes no sense but there are things on it that i just love i love how the the nacelles are kind of large in the front and then they kind of sleek down in the back to look like the ones we're used to i love the bridge uh i love the fact that it's not a view screen but it's it looks more like glass um I just, there's so many aspects of the ship that I really, really like. Um, and the fact that it's in the Kelvin timeline allows them to have the play with the differences that we might not be used to, but I just give credit to JJ, uh, for it. I think it's, I think it's gorgeous. It's not my favorite, but I just really love it. I did not love it when I first saw it. I actually thought it was pretty ugly. Well, you're pretty ugly, so. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. <laughs> I, uh, there was that first shot that they released, um, you know, to the media during the the run up to Star Trek 2009. You know, if it sort of docked at Starbase One, you know, it's the first time mm-hmm. they, they let you see the Enterprise, and there were just some really weird design choices that I just didn't like. Um, I didn't like the secondary hull and and how far back the neck was. Um, in relation to the saucer. Now, yes, I understand that it's it's supposed to sort of mimic the TOS Enterprise in that regard, but I don't think it looks right. I think it's pitched a little too far back based on where everything else is, personally. And then the back of the secondary hull really kind of bothers me, the way the warp nacelles sort of attach. Um, uh, now, over time, I've grown to like it. And in fact, I, I have one of those models you know, sitting on my desk at home. So it's not like I hate the ship now, but when I first saw it, I definitely had a negative reaction to it. I was like that, that that's my enterprise. Um, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because one of the views of the Kelvin enterprise that I don't like, and I think you do like is in the last movie and beyond when they're leaving Yorktown, and they kind of have the camera like sitting on the deflector dish looking towards the back of the ship so you can see the neck and then you see the engine pylons. I think that looks ridiculous. I thought it was I, great. It, just, it doesn't look right to me for some reason, but I totally understand what you're saying about the things that you that you didn't like when you first saw it. I thought it was a great look for that movie in a different shot. Justin Lin said he wanted to look at the Enterprise in, a, in some different angles and some different ways. And I thought that he accomplished that pretty well. I thought it was really neat to see that angle because that's something we've never seen in Star Trek before. I, I don't think it accentuates the design positively necessarily, mm-hmm. but I do think it was cool to see. Um, and now I know they've kept a lot of those um, design elements for the 1701A, which will be in the next Star Trek film. We got a brief glimpse of it at the end of Star Trek Beyond. It looks like they've sort of change the neck a little bit. It looks like it's a little fatter um, or wider in one sense than, than the first Kelvin enterprise was. 
Um, I still don't know that I'm a fan of how the warp nacelles attach, but um, I guess I, I can't have everything. But ultimately, it's the Enterprise. I mean, I look at that and I know it's the Enterprise uh, without a doubt. The thing that I found absolutely amazing about that brief glimpse of the Enterprise A was how fast they built it. That thing was built fast, dude. Yeah, like about 15 seconds. Yeah, right? <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> I really do. I, you just, Sorry. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> and then I, I guess we, we would be a little remiss if we didn't at least mention the Discovery era Enterprise, which we're going to see more of in season two of Star Trek Discovery. We got a brief glimpse of it at the end of Will You Take My Hand, the season one finale of Star Trek Discovery. And like like everything else, Phantom either had a really positive or a really negative reaction. And mine was super positive because I, it was instantly recognizable as the Enterprise to me. There are subtle differences, but so? It takes place 10 years before the original series picks up. Um, things change. Car models change year to year. I thought it looked fantastic. And when it swoops in and you just see that, uh, oh, it, <laughs> It may have been my, I, I said it on Discovering Trek. I was jumping up and down in the living room at my sister's house when that scene took place on the finale of Discovery season one. I was so excited when we realized that it was Pike and the NCC numbers were coming across on the on the uh, science station. And then to see it swoop in and, and be nose to nose with Discovery, it looked phenomenal. And I cannot wait to see how it looks in season two. Well, and it's kind of the perfect blend between the original series and the motion picture enterprises. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. it's got some sensible design elements from both. I love the way the warp pylons are. I love the fact that the warp nacelles kind of light up and glow a little blue. I, yep. I kind of dig that uh, because they couldn't do that in the original series because, I mean, budget and effect. Um, but it was instantly recognizable. People say it's just it doesn't even look like the enterprise. I just I don't understand them. <laughs> yeah, I don't okay. get it. I, yeah. I, just, I don't. I'm looking forward to see what the interior looks like. And uh, I just, I'm excited as I'll get out, man. I mean, like I felt like a kid at Christmas when that scene happened. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I like it. So Dan, we did conduct a poll in Camp Kittimer, our official Facebook group, which as you mentioned earlier, saw its 1000th member added, which we're very excited about. And we asked this question, which of the starships named Enterprise is your favorite? Now, again, we want to state off the bat that there's some enterprises that were out of scope for this poll. Uh, the B, the C, and the J were not included because we weren't going to be talking about them. So it's not supposed to be a poll of every ship named Enterprise, just the major ones to a series or film. And Dan, this is how, uh, with the eight choices people had, this is kind of how they played out. At number eight, the TAS Enterprise. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, It's only 20 two episodes or 26 episodes. So I get that mm -hmm. at number seven, the Kelvin timeline enterprise. So not a wow. lot of love for that design hmm. just ahead of it at number six, the discovery era enterprise. That's going to change. I think that's going to change. I really yeah. do. <laughs> uh, at number five, the NX one. Okay. Sort of middle of the pack. I can see that yeah. there, that there's value in that, in that pick number four, the enterprise E interesting. Yes, that is interesting. Uh, although there was a lot of love for the Enterprising in the comments, I will say. Um, and, and let's be, we'll be honest, people could pick multiple Enterprises. So some people, I'm sure, voted for all of them, as I think I might have. 
um, had I voted. So at number three, the original series Enterprise, the one that started it all. At number two, the Enterprise D from Star Trek The Next Generation. And Dan, coming in at number one, your favorite, my favorite, the TMP refit of the NCC-1701 from Star Trek The Motion Picture and films. Um, I'm kind of surprised to see that people love that as much as I do because I always thought that I was in the minority for that. I'm surprised that TNG beat out TOS. Now, I, I, I don't say that people are wrong. Absolutely not. I think it's fantastic that people have their favorite. I think part of the reason that might be is, as you said it when we started talking about the Enterprise D, brand new Star Trek for the first time in our lives, and for a lot of other people, this was their first Star Trek. And I think that love comes into this poll. Um, it's not... It, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't rank it where it is, but I totally understand why people do rank it as number two. I am surprised that it, that it beat out TOS. Yeah, I really am too. I thought TOS would be number one, honestly, but um, mm-hmm. it shows you what I know. I don't know much. No, I don't know much, but I know I love you. <laughs> I love and you that too. may be all I need to know. Sorry, a little Aaron Neville moment there. I apologize. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, I can tell you something else I know for a fact. We love Five Year Mission. They are amazing. We love their music. Their brand new album is instantly one of my favorites. I have been listening to it all the time. Year four is everything we thought it could be and more. We want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download year four and all of the other albums because you're going to become a super huge fan of this band. We guarantee it. We love them. I'm going to keep this week short and sweet, Bill, and I'm sure that you're going to be happy to hear that. Um, We talked a lot about the Enterprise today, so I thought that uh, it would only be fitting to say the following. All I ask is a tall ship and a fark to steer by. Wow. FiveYearMission.net, people. FiveYearMission.net. <laughs> I'm not sure that John Macefield has ever been read like that before. Uh, Dan, next week, we're actually bringing the show that you produce for Coconut Media Works back for a summer visit so we can talk some Star Trek Discovery. You know... I, I, I miss discovering Trek, Bill. I, I I miss Star Trek Discovery. So let's have a fun little summer journey over yonder to discovering Trek and talk about season one, what we know about season two, and all the big news that recently happened regarding the shakeup at Discovery. Um, it's going to be a Discovering Trek crossover extravaganza next week. On Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. That uh, episode will drop here in the Trek Geeks feed next week. And um, it'll sound a lot like discovering Trek. So uh, trust us, you you won't have gone to the wrong place. We're bringing the content to you. Lucky you. Dan, of course, for more straight greats. Yes. That doesn't happen often, I'll tell you that. I um. I think I, I pulled a Davidson there. I started reading ahead when I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't watching the ball as I was trying to catch it. Day uh, made. <laughs> for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions. And they are, of course, online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Your episode of Trek Profiles with our good friend John Krikorian will be dropping 
in the very near future. So we want people to get on top of that and all of the other amazing shows over the Tricorder Transmissions. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek's, yo, please visit our dear friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 143 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. I haven't done it like that in a long time, so. You really haven't. That was kind of neat. It's like it's a little like, uh, little walk down memory lane. Yeah, like the old TOS Enterprise, right? Yeah, although uh, that's actually something I enjoy. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. Bing bong. There are kids outside my window right now having the world's largest Nerf gun fight. Um, it's like eight kids and they're running all around the neighborhood shooting each other. I only wish my Nerf guns weren't in storage because I would come out and just get every single one of them. You could run out like a big wooden spoon and like be like, ah! oh no, I'd want to, I'd want to play. I mean, I'd, I'd want to have in, in the Nerf fight. But I would, you know, just I would be a team of one against all of them, and um, I would show them how it's really done. Great. What? All right. <laughs> That's all you. Thank you for bringing such insightful commentary to this podcast. Yeah, great. That's why Kid you're wants here. to go play outside instead of being on the podcast with his best friend. That's wonderful. Wait, my best friend is here. <laughs> I don't do a podcast with my wife. Walked into that one. thank you yeah you doing good (laughs) i'm great i'm fantastic i'm wonderful how are you that sounds a whole lot like sarcasm no it's not it's a great day yeah it's a good day today yeah okay you know the best part about it was oh god here we go to commute with you yeah i figured that's what it was yeah it was Yeah. yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I just can't even say it without laughing. This is, what are you drinking? Yeah. Anything? Uh, water. Mm. What are you drinking? We're trying something different. We were at the store just a little while ago, getting dinner. And so he goes, hey, you want to try these? Angry Orchid. Orchid? Orchard. Orchard. Angry Orchard. Angry Orchid. <laughs> Angry Orchid. It's a flower. Man, man, that flower is pissed. <laughs> Rosé. So wait, mm. it, it's a, it's a rosé cider. Yeah. That sounds yeah. kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's a little sweet, a little sweet, but, uh, it's not bad. I'm, uh, it's not something that I'd buy a case of, but, uh, I'm willing to try anything with cool, you know, interesting, different flavors. So, and this is one I like apple. I like cider. Uh, so we tried it and, uh, See for yourself. Ready? <laughs> I'm usually the first person to point out that when somebody says it's not bad, it's not terribly good. It's not something that I'm like, oh my God, this is freaking awesome. But it's not something that I'd be like, I'm not drinking this and dump it out. I'll drink it. Okay. I'm actually only my second one to 
be honest with you. Wow. So we're podcasting drunk tonight. All right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you drink like 12 of these and be fine. Yeah. Uh, so you think, and that's, that's the high functioning part of you talking. Listen, I, I didn't want to, <laughs> I just want to tell you something right now. <laughs> I don't tell you you're all beautiful. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> now, if you were me, uh, having had one too many Long Island iced teas in Las Vegas at STLV, you would have just put yourself to bed. Yeah. You're like, Good night. I'm like, dude, where, where are you going? I'm oh, going to bed. <laughs> and you did. Yep. I am uh-huh. the I am the the least high maintenance you know drunk person you'll ever meet. Well, that's good to know. You're high you, maintenance all the time. Oh, come on now, <laughs> oh, dude. We are five weeks out from STLV <sighs> as of tomorrow. Yay. So just over a month. Yeah, and I I have no idea where the time's going. I, even though we're doing less this year, I feel like I still have a bunch of stuff to do. It doesn't seem like we're doing less. But we are. I know. But it doesn't seem that. <laughs> well, there's so many other events that we don't have a hand in that we want to go to. That right. I think that's why it seems that way. I'm really psyched for the Tricorder Transmissions Night of Diversity Party. I think it's going to be a great event. Oh, it's going to be And we awesome. don't even have to leave the Rio. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think the fact that we're missing a day because we're going a day later than we did last year, that might have something to do with it too. No, we're not. We're going on Wednesday. Didn't we go on Tuesday last year? Nope. The year before we did then. No, we changed it because we were going to go Thursday last year. Oh, that's what it was. And okay. because we figured we'd skip the first day because it seemed like a money grab at, yeah. at STLV 50 because it you. wasn't a full day of content. Yes. And then when they d- announced all the discovery panels for Wednesday, we yes. changed our flight and flew that's in first thing Wednesday morning. That's what it was. I knew there was a, something that we'd change, but that was it. So I was wrong again. Yeah. Well, no, I totally get why you why you thought that. I mean, I can't fault you for for this. Thank you. I, I want this to is specifically right? state for this. I can't oh. fault you for this. Okay. All right. There's a whole cacophony of other things. Oh, what does that a even litany. mean? A litany, litany cacophony. even smorgasbord. Yeah. Uh, I would love a good smorgasbord right about now. <laughs> and how do you actually say that? Is it smorgasbord? Or smorgasbord, I don't even know. I don't know. All right. I, I, obviously, when I when you say it either way, people know what it is. Right, right. I assume somebody's going to tell us. I just defaulted. There's no H in it, so I just say smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. Is it Borg or board? Duh, board, duh. Duh. Like, like board, how like I when feel I'm when I talk to you. you. <laughs> so we both said that at the same time, and I got to wonder if it's going to come out on the recording like that. <laughs> no, I'll just cut your part out. Uh, of course you will. That's what you do most of the time. All yeah, that's what makes owners. the podcast great is superior cutting editing. Room, I am Captain Cutting Room Floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. That's the, you. that's where you're best left. Just let me Thank assure you. you. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So you um you ready to talk some Starship Enterprise? I am ready to talk some Starship Enterprise with you, Mon Frere. I'm excited for this topic. Awesome. It's far overdue, I think. Especially since the Enterprise means so much to both of us. Yep. And what's kind of funny is it's kind of like a time warp because by the time people hear this, we will have already talked about it, yet we're asking if we're ready to talk about it. I don't even know what to say. I'm like completely like confused now. My brain hurts just kind of like Janeway's, you know, <laughs> you talk about temporal things. Uh, yeah, my head hurts. Your face Speaking hurts. Of, oh, shut up. <laughs> Send your face. <laughs> you ready, jerk face? 
Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. All right, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs>